This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, truth seekers, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 129, entitled, The Early Christian View of God in 1 Corinthians. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God, and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. Our current series is walking through the earliest documents of Christianity, specifically to see if the monotheistic God of Judaism was altered, expanded, or modified in light of the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. In other words, we are doing a comparative study of religions to determine if the early Christians, in light of the Christ event, came to understand the nature of God along the same lines as Second Temple Jews, or if their understanding of God was expanded to include Jesus. This episode will explore 1 Corinthians, which is actually the second correspondence that Paul had with the believers in the Roman colony of Corinth. For the sake of clarity, I will continue to call 1 Corinthians by the title with which everyone is familiar. The letter was composed by Paul in the mid-50s A.D., and 1 Corinthians sought to correct a variety of problems held by the Corinthian believers. Did Paul correct the Corinthian understanding of God and the person of Christ in this massive epistle? Or does Paul continue to exhibit the unitary monotheism that he inherited from his Jewish upbringing? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the Christian portrayal of God in 1 Corinthians. God is a major subject in 1 Corinthians, and the Greek noun for God, theos, appears around 106 times, depending on a few textual considerations. So around 106 times. When God is qualified at all in 1 Corinthians, the God of Paul is always qualified as the Father. God is never qualified as the Son, nor is God qualified as the Holy Spirit. Paul describes God as, quote, God our Father in chapter 1, verse 3. God is described as the one God who is the Father and the Creator of all things, in chapter 8, verse 6. And he is the God and Father, in chapter 15, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 is actually a very important passage for this particular study, since it deals directly with the one God and the one Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds as if it is a creedal statement for Paul. And 1 Corinthians 8, 6 functions as an overview 
of how Paul defined God for his Gentile converts. All of the Gentile converts formally worshipped multiple gods and multiple lords. This is exactly what we would expect when Paul is addressing a community in Corinth, which was a Roman colony. It was filled with people that worshipped multiple gods, specifically the gods and lords of Roman imperialism, worshipping the emperor as God and as Lord. But in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. Chapter 8, verse 6. This makes the Father the sole creator. And this is reiterated later in chapter 11, verse 12, where Paul says that woman originates from the man, and also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So God, the Father, is the creator of all things, as we see in chapter 8, verse 6, and 11, verse 12. But it's very important that we understand here what Paul is saying and what Paul is not saying. Paul is saying, for us Christians, there is one God, and that one God is defined specifically as the Father. If Paul was a Trinitarian, Paul would say, yet for us there is one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If Paul was a Benetarian, he would say, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, and the Son. But Paul doesn't say either of those things. Paul says, for us, for us Christians, there is one God, the Father. The one God that is believed by Paul and all Christians here, as Paul uses the first person plural, yet for us, that one God is a Unitarian God, described specifically as the Father. And that Father is the one out of whom all things are created. Jesus actually is distinguished from this Creator God later in chapter 8, verse 6. But we'll talk about that when we move on to our second point. Paul makes it quite clear that this God who is qualified as the Father, is the head of the resurrected and exalted Jesus. Look at chapter 11 and verse 3. Paul says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Chapter 11, verse 3. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man, probably indicating the husband, and the husband is the head of the wife. But God is, present tense, God is the head of Christ. That is, the Christ now that is crucified, risen, and exalted. This God here, who is defined as the Father, has no equals. Paul has already defined this earlier in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 23, where Paul says, quote, You belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 23. So in two places, Paul makes it quite clear that God is the head of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 23, and chapter 11, verse 3. 
There does not seem to be a theology of the Father being co-equal with the Son. God continues to be portrayed as the covenant God of the Jews, namely the one who elects, the one who calls, and the one who chooses. This sense of Jewish election continues to be exhibited in Paul's understanding of the true God. In chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says that God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship. So God is the one who calls. God is the one who chooses or elects. In chapter 1, verse 27 and 128, God has chosen you. God has chosen you. In chapter 2, verse 9, Paul cites from the Hebrew Bible the truth that God has prepared. So God calls, he chooses, and he prepares. And of course, God being the God of monotheism and election is also the God of eschatology. All three of these doctrines were Jewish doctrines, and Paul continues to exhibit them. But in regard to eschatology, Paul is quite clear that God is the judge. And God will judge those outside of the church. In chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says, quote, Those who are outside, God judges. And actually, the Greek is a little bit ambiguous. It could be rendered in the present tense, God judges in the present, or it could be in the future, God will judge. And so you might notice a difference in your own translation of chapter 5 and verse 13 due to that ambiguity. But the point remains the same, that God is the one who functions as the cosmic judge. Regarding the Christian portrayal of God in this epistle, Paul has not strayed from the theology of Jewish unitary monotheism. Paul believes in a single God, and this God is referred to by singular pronouns, he, him. Furthermore, this God, when he is qualified by Paul, is always qualified as the Father. Paul contrasts this Christian God with the pagan gods and imperial lords that were popular in Corinth. The Father is the sole creator, and Paul is quite clear that all things originate from the Father. Is the Father co-equal with the Son? The answer, according to Paul, is no. As God is the head of Christ, and Christ belongs to God. The Father continues to function in terms familiar with Judaism, being the one who calls, chooses, and prepares. The Christian God is also the cosmic judge. And thus, Paul continues to exhibit Jewish theologies of monotheism, election, and eschatology. But of course, Paul believes in the man, Messiah Jesus, who was crucified, risen, and exalted. So let's look at how Paul understands Christ. Our second point today is the Christian portrayal of Jesus in 1 Corinthians. Let's begin with some word studies, some statistical studies. In 1 Corinthians, 
Paul regards Jesus with his given human name, Jesus, 25 times, give or take a few, depending on some textual considerations. However, Paul regards Jesus as the Christ, which is the title for the anointed king of the kingdom of God, 64 times. Again, give or take a few, depending on some textual questions. 11 times within the 64 times that Jesus is referred to as the Christ, Paul describes believers as those who are, quote, in Christ, meaning they are within the redemptive sphere of the king, the Christ, and the Jewish king is one who represents his people. Six times, the reference to Jesus as the Christ actually places Christ before the given name Jesus for emphasis. Six times, Jesus is described as Christ Jesus, namely King Jesus. And you have to emphasize King Jesus in a Roman colony where people are encouraged to give their loyalty to the Roman emperor. Speaking of a Roman emperor who was regarded as the Lord of the world in both inscriptions and coins, Jesus is described as Lord, Kyrios, 66 times in 1 Corinthians. Ten of those times, Jesus is our Lord. Of course, Paul has to emphasize that Jesus is our Lord because Caesar no longer is the Lord of the Corinthian believers. In fact, in order to subvert the lordship of Caesar, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, that for us Christians there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, 2, Paul says, All who in every place call on the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So it's not merely describing Jesus as Kyrios, the Lord. He is our Lord, the Lord that belongs to us. And again, I have to point out, because some people continually make this mistake by noticing that early Christians describe Jesus as Lord, they mistakenly think that this means that they are calling Jesus Yahweh, since Yahweh, God's personal name within the Hebrew Bible, is described in the Septuagint as Lord, as Kyrios. But Paul is not describing Jesus as Yahweh. He says that Jesus is our Lord, referring to the title, not to some divine name. Because in the Old Testament, you can't describe Yahweh as our Yahweh. Yahweh is used 6,800 times in the Old Testament, and never once is Yahweh described in those personal terms as our Yahweh. But Jesus is described as our Lord, because he's referring to that title of the risen and exalted Jesus, and taking the title away from the Roman emperor. Moving on, Paul says that God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. So Jesus is distinguished from the faithful God and described as the Son of the faithful God, his Son. 
the Son of God is our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 9. So as we can see, Paul is far more likely to refer to Jesus by titles in 1 Corinthians, Christ and Lord, rather than his given human name, Jesus. 1 Corinthians is, by the way, the easiest letter to see something that is difficult for theologians to articulate in that Paul possesses a wisdom Christology. You can see Paul's wisdom Christology in 1 Corinthians and Colossians. You can see wisdom Christology in Matthew, Luke, John, and Hebrews. But the strongest place that we can see it in the writings of Paul is 1 Corinthians. So I want you to consider these particular passages because this is a difficult concept to explain to people, but it's something that Paul seems to be fairly comfortable with, and he expects his readers to follow his arguments. So Paul says in chapter 1, verse 24, quote, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Chapter 1, verse 24. Those who are called by the gospel, whether Jewish or Greek, Christ for them is God's power and the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God, according to Paul in chapter 1, verse 24. A few verses later, in verse 30 of chapter 1, Paul says, quote, But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Chapter 1, verse 30. Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. Okay? God sent his wisdom, and that became to us Christ Jesus. Jesus is the current embodiment of God's wisdom. And so we're thinking about the wisdom of God, which was a personification based on Jewish wisdom theology and Jewish wisdom writings like Proverbs and Sirach and Wisdom of Solomon. And it's interesting to see how Paul elaborates this particular point. In chapter 10, Paul regards the wilderness experience of the Israelites and connects the experience of the modern-day Corinthians with their spiritual fathers. So in chapter 10, verse 4, Paul says that all drank the same spiritual drink, and they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. What in the world is going on here, Paul? How can you say in chapter 10 and verse 4 that the rock in the wilderness with the Israelites was Christ? Well, he tells us in verse 6, Now these things happened as examples for us. And the Greek word that Paul uses for examples is types. These things happened as types for us. Paul is referring to Jesus as a rock typologically. And why would Paul do this? Well, it's important to understand something about how the rock that gave water was understood in Second Temple Judaism. We have three documents from this particular time period. We have the writings of Sirach, 
we have the writings of Wisdom of Solomon, and we have the writings of Philo Judaeus, who all say that God's wisdom was the rock that gave the water to the Israelites. So the current understanding of how this rock functioned was through Jewish wisdom contemplations. They were describing it as God's wisdom. And so what Paul says, typologically, is that actually, since that rock was understood as wisdom, he can now say that the rock was Christ, because Paul believes that Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. But it's important for us to see that Paul understands this typologically. Wisdom is the type of the New Testament Christ. Christ is the antitype. And wisdom, the personified attribute of God's wise interaction with the world, that is the type. But speaking typologically, Paul can say that the rock was Christ in chapter 10, verse 4, because the rock was wisdom. And in light of this typology, it's important for us to return to chapter 8, and verse 6, which is a passage that seems difficult for a lot of biblical Unitarians to grasp because they haven't quite followed Paul's wisdom Christology that he understands typologically. And now that we've seen in 1 Corinthians that Paul flat out says, Christ is the wisdom of God, and Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. And the wisdom that was the water-giving rock in the wilderness was typologically Christ, we can now look at 1 Corinthians 8, 6 and understand how Paul is able to portray the common way of God teaching that God created the universe with his personified wisdom as a mediator in light of the Christ event. So let me read 1 Corinthians 8, 6 and then we can comment on it. Paul says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and we exist through him. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Now we've already commented on the first part, the fact that there is one creator, one God, and that one God is defined as the Father. So the one Lord Jesus Christ is not the creator. He is not the one God. He is someone distinguished from the one God. But what Paul has done here is Paul has taken the typical way of describing God creating through his wisdom, like we see in Proverbs 3.19 in Psalm 104.24, where God creates the universe through his wisdom. Paul now says that it is the one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things. Does this mean that the one Lord Jesus Christ was up there in heaven when God created all things? Paul would say no, that's to misunderstand his typology. Again, wisdom is the type of Christ. Christ is the current embodiment of wisdom. Christ is the anti-type of wisdom. Wisdom is the type of Christ. And so Paul is able to say, since wisdom is now found in the risen and exalted Jesus Christ, 
and that the relationship between wisdom and Jesus is typological in nature, then Paul's theology can say that the one God the Father created all things through the one Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is typologically the embodiment of wisdom. Since wisdom is now found in Jesus, Paul can typologically make this statement. So we have to be careful to in interpret what Paul says in light of his own argument. Again, wisdom is the type of Christ. And so, to say that the one Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator of creation is not to posit that Jesus literally pre-existed his birth. It is to say that Jesus is the anti-type of wisdom. And it's something we need to consider because that's the argument that Paul is making. Let's move on. We'll talk a little bit more about how Paul understands Jesus. In a more familiar territory, Paul is quite clear that Jesus is a man, a human being. And Jesus is a human being just like Adam was a human being. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, Paul says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22. Very clearly here, Paul describes Jesus as a man, as a human being, in the same way that he describes Adam as a human being. Jesus as a human being is the one that died and the one that in light of his humanity representing his people as the Christ, as the king who represents his people, all will be made alive in resurrection. Now this is written in Paul's exposition of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 and it's very interesting to note that in the context of this Paul says that the death of a human being Jesus Christ is sufficient to deal with sins. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, he says in verse 3, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's chapter 15, verse 3. So Paul can say that Christ died for our sins. And this Christ is described in that passage as a man. Therefore, a human being was able to die for the sins of Paul, according to the scriptures. A human being and his death were sufficient to cover sins. Regarding Paul's understanding of the crucified, risen, and exalted Jesus, we begin in 1 Corinthians to see the sophistication of Paul's theology and thought. Paul is far more likely to refer to Jesus by titles, such as Christ and Lord, and these titles seem to have taken on the qualities of proper names. Of course, in a Roman colony like Corinth, 
Paul needs to stress that Jesus is the true king and the true Lord, claims which deliberately subverted the power structures of Roman imperialism and the Caesar cult. Jesus, according to Paul, is the Son of God. And Jesus is clearly distinguished from the Creator God. Paul regards Jesus in terms of God's wisdom, stating plainly that Jesus is wisdom from God. The personified attribute of wisdom, which formerly acted as the mediator of creation in Jewish wisdom literature, is now embodied in the human Jesus. Paul tells his readers that his wisdom Christology is typological in nature. In this way, the personified wisdom is a type, and the man Jesus is the antitype. In light of this typology, Paul can say that Jesus was the rock in the wilderness, and all things were made by God but through Christ. But to think that Christ was actually a rock in the wilderness, or actually present as the mediator of creation, is to misunderstand Paul's typology. Paul makes it clear that Jesus is a man, a human being, just like Adam was a human being. Furthermore, the death of the human Jesus is sufficient to deal with sins, according to Paul's doctrine of atonement. Since God is able to forgive sins with the death of a human being, how else does Paul understand the relationship between God and Jesus? That moves us to our third point, which is God and Jesus working together in 1 Corinthians. The opening verse says that Paul understands his own calling to the vocation of an apostle of Jesus Christ as one that is by the will of God. So God's will and his desire is that Paul would be an apostle of Jesus Christ. God and Jesus are working together there. The community of believers in Corinth is described as the church of God, namely those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 2. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ send greetings. In chapter 1, verse 3. Of course, we have no greetings sent from the Holy Spirit. Not here in 1 Corinthians, nor anywhere in the New Testament. God is the one who places the members in the body of Christ, just as God desires, according to chapter 12, verse 18. And Paul seems pretty clear in chapter 12 that God is the one who organizes the body of Christ. And this is not surprising because Paul has made his point pretty clear that God is the head of Christ. In chapter 12, verse 24, it says, God has so composed the body. In chapter 12, 27 through 28, Paul says, You are Christ's body and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church. So God is the one that organizes and places the member in the body of Christ. Of course, in light of Paul's stress on resurrection, Paul makes it clear that God 
raised Jesus. And in light of the fact that God raised Jesus, God can raise other people. Chapter 6, verse 14 says, quote, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Chapter 6, verse 14. And 1 Corinthians 15 repeatedly insists that Jesus died and that God woke Jesus up from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 15, Paul says, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ when he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. And of course, Paul goes on to say that, but God did raise Jesus from the dead. When all things are subjected to God, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, in order that God may be all in all. Chapter 15, verse 28. So for the rest of eternity, Christ will be subjected to God. This is not a theology of the Father being co-equal to the Son. And of course, Paul ends 1 Corinthians by saying, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthians were no longer to look forward to the victory given or promised by the Roman Emperor Nero. In conclusion, we have observed that 1 Corinthians has a lot to say in regard to how early Christians understood God and Christ. Paul continues to exhibit Jewish monotheism with his depiction of the Christian God. For Paul, this God is defined as the Father alone, and this God is the sole creator. The Father has no equals, despite the highly exalted promotion given to the resurrected Jesus. This Jesus is the Son of God. He remains subordinate to the Father. Paul holds two very important truths about Jesus in balance. First, Jesus is a human being whose death covered the sins of sinners. Second, Jesus is the embodiment of God's personified wisdom. Since God's personified wisdom is not a conscious person alongside God, according to Jewish wisdom literature, Jesus remains fully human and he did not consciously pre-exist his birth. Any Second Temple Jew would clearly recognize the God that Paul was proclaiming, since Paul was not altering or modifying God in any way. The human Messiah is regarded as the climax and definitive embodiment of God's wisdom. But other human beings in Judaism were likewise described before Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. In sum, 1 Corinthians clearly exhibits biblical Unitarianism, and 1 Corinthians is incompatible with Trinitarian theology. Join us next week as we look at 2 Corinthians to see how the risen Jesus is portrayed alongside the only true God of Jewish monotheism. 
please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends, by rating the podcast on iTunes, and writing an honest review. If you'd like to financially donate to the podcast, you may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Special thanks to Dustin Williams for post-production and for editing the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us today. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.